listening to the AK-47 podcast. That's 47 selections from the works of Alexandra Kolontai. My name is Kristen Gossi, and I will continue reading today from Alexandra Kolontai's 1921 essay, Theses on Communist Morality in the Sphere of Marital Relations. So as I said in the previous episode, this piece is sort of a place where she was really working out her ideas that would lay the foundation for her later essay, Make Way for Winged Arrows, which we discussed earlier. So I'm picking up here, this is part two of this essay, so if you haven't listened to part one, please go back and listen to part one. And I'm picking up after she's been talking about the reimagination of family ties and what marriage and the family will look like in a socialist society. Now, before I read this, there's one important thing that I need to highlight, which is the Marxist theory of law. So for those of you who know your Marxist theory, you will know that after capitalism comes socialism and then after socialism comes communism. And in classical Marxist theory, this stage of communism is where the law and the state have withered away. So in the United States, we often tend to refer to this phase as anarchism. But technically speaking, this is the communist phase. The socialist phase is the phase where you have a big state or the dictatorship of the proletariat. But eventually, the idea is that once there are morals and cooperation and collectivity sort of deeply entrenched in the society, that there's no longer a need for law and the state. And this idea clearly influences Kolontai's thinking about the role of the family. So this will make a lot more sense as I begin to read. In the period of the dictatorship of the proletariat, the worker state has to concern itself not only with the economic and social unit of the family, since this unit dies as the bonds of communism are consolidated, but with the changing forms of marital relations. The family as an economic unit and as a union of parents and children based on the need to provide for the material welfare of the latter is doomed to disappear. Thus, the workers' collective has to establish its attitude, not to economic relationships, but to the form of relationships between the sexes. What kind of relations between the sexes are in the best interests of the workers' collective? What form of relations would strengthen, not weaken, the collective in the transitional stage between capitalism and communism, and would thus assist the construction of the new society? The laws and the morality that the worker system is evolving are beginning to give an answer to this question. Once relations between the sexes cease to perform the economic and social function of the former family, they are no longer the concern of the workers' collective. It is not the relationship between the sexes, but the result, the child, that concerns the collective. The workers' state recognizes its responsibility to provide for maternity, i.e., to guarantee the well-being of the woman and the child, but it does not recognize the couple as the legal unit separate from the workers' collective. The decrees on marriage issued by the Workers' Republic establishing the mutual rights of the married couple, the right to demand material support from the partner for yourself or the child, 
and thus giving legal encouragement to the separation of this unit and its interest from the general interests of the workers' social collective, the rights of wives to be transferred to the town or village where their husbands are working, are survivals of the past. They contradict the interests of the collective and weaken its bonds and should therefore be reviewed and changed. The law ought to emphasize the interest of the workers' collective in maternity and eliminate the situation where the child is dependent on the relationship between its parents. The law of the workers' collective replaces the right of the parents, and the workers' collective keeps a close watch in the interest of the unified economy and of present and future labor resources. In the period of the dictatorship of the proletariat, there must, instead of marriage law, be regulation of the relationship of the government to maternity, of the relationship between mother and child, and of the relationship between the mother and the workers' collective, i.e., legal norms must regulate the protection of female labor, the welfare of expectant and nursing mothers, and the welfare of children and their social education. Legal norms must regulate the relationship between the mother and the socially educated child, and between the father and the child. Fatherhood should not be established through marriage or a relationship of a material nature. The man should be able to choose whether or not to accept the role of fatherhood i.e. the right which he shares equally with the mother to decide on a social system of education for the child, and the right, where this does not conflict with the interest of the collective, of intellectual contact with the child and the opportunity to influence its development. So here you see very clearly that basically, Kolontai is arguing that fatherhood should be a choice. This is a pretty radical idea, of course, because most women really needed and still need fathers to be around for economic provisioning under a capitalist system. But Kolontai here is basically saying that once the state is able to step up and take care of the needs of all mothers and children, as well as to look after their social education within the workers' collective, there's really no need to have fathers be sort of on the hook for raising these children, especially if they don't want to. And as we know from the scholarship that has been done on this era, many fathers, many Russian men and men from other nationalities within the Soviet Union were very happy to abandon their children once they, they found out that their wives or their girlfriends were pregnant. Many men are really not very interested in fatherhood. And so here Kolontai is saying, if a man has no interest in raising his child, it's not up to the law to force him to do so. What's more important is that the state should be able to step in where the father has stepped out or abandoned the child. Now, she's not saying that there shouldn't be fatherhood, but what she's saying is that fathers should look after the children that they want to look after, that they feel you know, emotionally attached to for one reason or the other, and that the law shouldn't be chasing around fathers who have tried to abandon their children and are unhappy with paying alimony or child support. Okay, now back to Kolontai. In the period of the dictatorship of the proletariat, communist morality and not the law regulates sexual relationships in the interest of the workers' collective and of future generations. Each historical and therefore economic epoch 
in the development of society has its own ideal of marriage and its own sexual morality. Under the tribal system, with its ties of kinship, the morality was different from that which developed with the establishment of private property and the rule of the husband and father, patriarchy. Different economic systems have different moral codes. Not only each stage in the development of society, but each class has its corresponding sexual morality. It is sufficient to compare the morals of the feudal landowning class and of the bourgeoisie in one and the same epoch to see that this is true. The more firmly established the principle of private property, the stricter the moral code. The importance of virginity before legal marriage sprang from the principles of private property and the unwillingness of men to pay for the children of others. Hypocrisy, the outward observance of decorum in the actual practice of depravity, and the double code, one code of behavior for the man and another for the woman, are the twin pillars of bourgeois morality. Communist morality must, above all, resolutely spurn all the hypocrisy inherited from bourgeois society in relationships between the sexes and reject the double standard of morality. In the period of the dictatorship of the proletariat, relations between the sexes should be evaluated only according to the criteria mentioned above the health of the working population, and the development of inner bonds of solidarity within the collective. The sexual act must not be seen as something shameful and sinful, but as something which is as natural as the other needs of a healthy organism, such as hunger and thirst. Such phenomena cannot be judged as moral or immoral. The satisfaction of healthy and natural instincts only ceases to be normal when the boundaries of hygiene are overstepped. In such cases, not only the health of the person concerned, but the interest of the work collective, which needs the strength and energy and health of its members, are threatened. Communist morality, therefore, while openly recognizing the normality of sexual interests, condemns unhealthy and unnatural interest in sex, excesses, for example, or sexual relations before maturity has been reached, which exhaust the organism and lower the capacity of men and women for work. As communist morality is concerned for the health of the population, it also criticizes sexual restraint. The preservation of health includes the full and correct satisfaction of all man's needs, Norms of hygiene should work to this end and not artificially suppress such an important function of the organism as the sex drive. And here she cites Babel from Women in Socialism. Thus, both early sexual experience before the body has developed and grown strong and sexual restraint must be seen as equally harmful. This concern for the health of the human race does not establish either monogamy or polygamy as the obligatory form of relations between the sexes. In view of the need to encourage the development and growth of feelings of solidarity and to strengthen the bonds of the work collective, it should above all be established that isolation of the couple as a special unit does not answer the interests of communism. Communist morality requires the education of the working class in comradeship and the fusion of the hearts and minds of the separate members of this collective. 
The needs and interests of the individual must be subordinated to the interests and aims of the collective. On the one hand, therefore, the bonds of family and marriage must be weakened. On the other, men and women need to be educated in solidarity and the subordination of the will of the individual to the will of the collective. Even at this present early stage, the workers' republic demands that mothers learn to be the mothers not only of their own children, but of all workers' children. It does not recognize the couple as a self-sufficient unit and does not therefore approve of wives deserting work for the sake of this unit. I'm going to stop right there for this episode and take a moment to kind of reflect on what we just read. I've abridged this essay a little bit to try to focus on some of Kolontai's key ideas about sexuality, marriage, and the family. And I think this idea that the collective is more important not only than the individual, but also than the couple, is something that people are going to really push back at. In fact, this is one of the things that many people have criticized Kolontai for over the years, including, as I've mentioned many times on this podcast, her own Bolshevik colleagues and comrades who were in cozy little, you know, monogamous relationships or at least coupled relationships with their partners. And they didn't really think that it was necessary in their personal lives to elevate the work collective over their individual needs and their individual happiness, particularly if their partner was somebody who actually took care of things at home and did the domestic work and, you know, was a support for their careers. So, this is really probably one of the most challenging things, I think, in Kolontai, is this idea that we have to actually make our collectivities, our communities, or our collectives, whatever they may be, whatever shape or form they may take, more important than the self. And I think that, you know, many people will argue, many garden variety, you know, Americans especially will say that's just not natural. It's people are inherently selfish. People are way more concerned about their own needs and ideas and the needs of their own biological children and the interest of their love partners. And, you know, to counter that, I think as an anthropologist, it's really important to point out that obviously that's not true in non-Western societies. And I'm not sure that that's been true in the history of all Western societies either. So this is one of those things where Kolontai's Marxist analysis of the family is really important because she's trying to force us to see that our concept of love and family and even perhaps happiness and sexual happiness are very much determined by the base of, e of the economic system within which we live. The economic relations, the base, determines these superstructural ideals of love and comradeship and family and happiness and that it's not at all inconceivable that as we leave capitalism, as we move forward to some other socioeconomic system, that we will have different ideas of the family. And I think that Kolontai is always going to be remembered for this idea that we will put the needs of our friends and collective comrades and workers or whatever you want to call this larger group of social group within which we'll find ourselves embedded will become more important than either ourselves or our immediate children or lovers or parents. Again, I think it's going to be a heavy lift, but I don't think 
Kolontai thought it was impossible, and certainly that was what she was arguing would eventually happen. She was well aware of the challenges, and I think in the next and final section of the essay, we can spend a little bit of time talking about those challenges and some of the resistance that Kolontai met within her time and space. But for now, this is Kristen Godsey with the AK-47 podcast. Thank you so much for listening and keep up the good fight. Oh,